0: Thank you. Welcome to another episode of the No Ceilings Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Metcalf. This week, I wanted to dive in on one of the most loaded teams in the country in terms of NBA talent, the Duke Blue Devils. To help me break down this fascinating crop of talent, I wanted to keep it in-house and bring in two two No Ceilings members who have had some strong opinions on a couple of these guys. And with me today is Tyler Rooker and Corey Tulliba. Fellas, how's it going?
1: Well, I'll just say, you know, uh, Metcalf... You were graciously the first guest ever uh, invited on to the the draft deck NBA draft yeah. podcast, and somehow you've had every single member <laughs> member of Draft Twitter appear on the No Ceilings podcast before me. So, with that being said, I'm I'm doing just just dandy and and fine, and I it's an honor to be here or whatever.
0: <laughs> well, I so I, I wanted to, I wanted to save the best for you and sure. If if anything, I I am feeling a little put off by your co-host who who can't figure out who I am. So, you know, I I, I would I would go have a chat with Albert and and straighten him out a little bit. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, it feels Ruckrat. like it feels like basically Corey got tortured in this whole entire uh,
2: fiasco of Albert not knowing which Tyler's which, but uh no, it feels good to be doing it with the three of you guys. You know, the all-star team no offense to everybody else but i'm pretty <laughs> pumped to talk some some hoops with the two of you so it's gonna be a yeah. good one
0: yeah and i i think the best place to start out with this duke team is obviously at the top with a guy who's kind of long been considered the top or one of the top um for certainly in the top three now in paulo Bancaro. um Bankero is currently averaging 17.6 points, 8.3 rebounds, 2.8 assists, one block, 1.1 steals on 50, 33, 75 shooting splits. And he, he's been a really tricky one for me pretty much since I was going through his high school stuff over the summer. Um, and I've kind of essentially ran the gamut up from he's an an inefficient chucker to the next evolution of the point forward. Um, but, After catching up on some of his recent games over these last couple weeks, I I think he's pretty clearly separated uh, from everyone else besides Chet and Jabari and really cementing that top three, um, at least for me. And from there and ranking out those three guys, I think a lot of it is going to come down to personal preference. But Rucker, the other week you said that you were kind of cooling on Bancaro and that you weren't entirely sold, um, at least compared to where you were entering the season. Is that still the case?
2: I think I'm coming around to heating up again. Um, I just think this is something that always happens in every draft cycle. You know, you find a guy that you fall in love with to start out the year. You start to question and nitpick him. And then all of a sudden you dive in again and you start to see what you saw at the beginning of the year. So I think that's sort of happening with, you know, the draft community is, you know, everyone was thinking Paula was going to be the number two pick after Chet. He comes out to start the year. He's just tearing everyone apart. And we're like, oh, wait, this this guy might have a shot to go first. Then Jabari Smith comes out. He starts getting hot. And everyone's like, okay, now this might be a three-horse field. And, you know, I, I just – the more you watch Paulo, um, I'm I'm going to dive deep into his game again. Um, he just flashes every game. He does something that just I mean, makes yourself go, wow. You know, like it's the footwork, the explosiveness – Um, I think he's taken some strides lately as a playmaker. Uh, I I really do think he's taking that next step. I think that's something that's been really pleasant as of late. So I'm heating up on him again, definitely. I I was cooling off, but, you know, Corey, I I think even Corey's brought it up before. You you just watch him and just something pops every game and you just kind of, you become a fan right away. So I I think I'm going to be one of those guys where it's, It's going to be chat one week and I'm going to wake up one morning and be like, no, maybe it's Paulo. I mean, it's just going to happen with those three, especially.
0: And Corey, you've been a little more optimistic uh, than Rucker in recent weeks. And you, you dropped a bomb on us in the chat the other day that you think just Paulo's a really damn good basketball player. Uh, So what, what, what brought you to such a revelation?
1: Controversial. Um, (laughs) Hot take. I, I think we're just like overthinking him. And I feel like a lot of the guys he's been compared to. Yeah like uh you know uh, he's been compared to Carmelo or he's been compared to you know another Duke player that got drafted by Milwaukee that didn't exactly pan out mostly due to injuries but he's I I think the guys he's compared to has almost hurt the type of player that he is but one if he became Carmelo Anthony that's damn sure a win um for me I was actually pretty down on him as like like, before the season watching his high school tape because I thought it was just, like, uh, the most frustrating thing in the world to watch because here's this gigantic person who looks massive and, like, just, uh, he looked like Schwarzenegger compared to high school kids. And you are like, can you just, like, try to rebound? Because you should get every one. But then he would do the Apollo thing where he's, like, taking the ball up the court and, like, hitting a combo move jump shot. Then, you know, the next possession, he'd, like, settle for, like, some stupid mid-range fall away. But then the next possession, he would, like, take the ball to the hoop. And it it seemed like he just could do whatever he wanted when he wanted. He just didn't want to do it enough. But seeing him this season, I almost feel like he's taken most of the stuff that I didn't like like about him out of his game. And he's made a much more concerted effort to emphasize the strong parts so kudos to coach k and and those guys for bringing that out of him um sure he still takes you know his fair amount of like pull up mid-range jumpers but like he's fucking good at them and he's done a good enough job for me of mixing that up with attacking the rim or you know backing guys down into the paint to getting shots that are efficient that i go all right like i'm not opposed to him shooting some mid-range jumpers because that's a shot he's going to be able to hit in the NBA as well. Uh, The three-point shot, I think, sometimes looks smooth. Other times, it looks a little clunky. I think it has a lot to do with his base, but it's projectable enough, and he hits enough of them at a high enough clip that, like, if you don't guard him, like, he'll make you pay eventually. And I do think teams will go under early on in his career, but eventually I feel confident enough that he'll hit him. And I think he's kind of underrated as a defender at this point. I, I really think people almost want him to not be a good defender, but if you actually watch him enough and I've watched so much because he's the next guy I'm covering for film sesh. Um, when he's isolated on somebody, I almost feel like he's swallowing them. He's just engulfing them. And it's like yeah. unbelievably hard to score on him or get a good shot he does fall asleep off ball sometimes. He doesn't have his head on a swivel necessarily, but like he's in the right spots and that's encouraging. He's even taken a few charges, which I like giving up his body. So I, I almost feel like we're overthinking this thing to a certain extent, but you know, for good reason. Cause Chet's fucking awesome. And like severely underrated at this point. And Jabari has been, you know, phenomenal the whole year. So I, I, I get why we're not just like, Falling head over heels for for Paolo because I think traditionally people are sick of that kind of archetype and wondering if it leads to winning basketball. But I just think the kid is like dumb talented and I mean I saw him up close in person. He is every bit the you know six ten two fifty he's listed at and uh, he's going to impact NBA games. I think he has one of the highest floors out of any of these guys.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm glad that you brought up the defense because. As I was catching up, I, I think the on ball defense is legit. And the way he moves his feet and uses his strength to really deter guys from getting even into the lane, I think is really important and really impactful. Um, the off ball stuff, I, a lot of it feels like he just kind of zones out at times. And yeah. just he, he's an 18 or 19 year old and just zones out because, and I think some of that has to do with the offensive load that he takes on as well. And I'm not sure that that ever really changes, but given how good or at least encouraging his on-ball defense is, I'm not sure it's going to be a damning issue for him on the defensive end of the floor. And then with his shot, I, I, I really like that you brought up his base because I think a lot of the times when he misses from outside, it feels like he's leaving it short. And I don't know if that's a conditioning thing. I don't know if it's the base is too wide, too narrow, just inconsistent on that, but it's not these like, really bad misses where he's hitting the opposite side of the glass or it's ricocheting way off the side of the rim or anything it's just he's leaving it six inches short but the issue with or my my concern kind of like you mentioned cory with this archetype is how much winning basketball in the nba does it produce and what does he need to be to really turn one of these franchises picking in the top three turn them around into a legitimate playoff contender so rucker what What is that role for him? Do you think for him to really elevate an NBA team and turn a franchise around? I
2: just think that he's going to be this offensive force. I mean, I think he's just going to provide a humongous spark into some organization. And, and, you know, I just have to get this off my head because Corey brought up a good point. That's just kind of sticking in my head through this podcast. And I, you know, his player comps, his pro comparisons, I hate pro comparisons more than yeah. anything in the world, but I almost feel like Corey's kind of hinting, it's going to hurt him because I don't know if he is those guys. Like the, Car- the Carmelo one, the Jabari Parker, I think they're going to be flashes of him, like for sure. But Paulo does some stuff where it's almost like he's unique. He's, he's way more different than that because he can drive and force something and it's, it's, it's erratic but then he goes up for that offensive rebound and it's like get out of my way like I'm stronger than all of you he's just getting boards over people so that's where I think he's more unique than like the Carmellos and I'm not saying Carmelo you know he's one of the best college basketball players around but I'm just saying that's the the power the force so I think that's the idea you're going to probably think when you're drafting him is we're getting this force down low that can also space the floor um you know just looking at his last six games. I mean, he's averaging almost 18, 10 and four. And I know the three point percentage isn't where you want it to be, but I think that'll come, you know, when he starts getting a little bit smarter with the shot selection, but. You know, I, I agree with Corey. I think this is something we're just going to overthink. Um, we're always like myself included. We're falling in love with the guys that have the passing ability, the defensive awareness. Paulo's just going to be one of those guys that he's just going to be a bucket getter. He's gonna be this offensive threat that you know you're gonna insert in your lineup. Like if Detroit drafts Paulo, it's okay, now you got him and Cade Cunningham running pick and rolls. Like that's an, a sexy asset to have. So I think if we could get more consistently with the outside shot, that's definitely something that's gonna intrigue NBA teams, especially to draft him.
1: But I think the difference between the comps that you know, we mentioned thus far in Palos that Palos playmaking is way ahead of of either one of those guys, yeah. and that's the reason I think you know the comps aren't necessarily fair because he's a, a a very willing playmaker, and you know, growing up in I'm sure watching the the Lebrons and uh, even guys like Luca and these jumbo wings make plays, uh, it it gives these guys who are coming up in this you know, uh, American, you know, youth basketball system, the ability to just be like, all right, well, you're not a post player anymore. Like you could be a, a playmaking wing now and he looks comfortable doing it. And, and sure, like it took him a little while, I think in college to like fully show the flashes. But I, I think that those reads are really starting to come now. Um, and, and if he could be one of these guys who, yeah, he can, you can go to him and get a bucket, but, he could also make plays when he gets downhill or takes guys into the post. I mean, that totally flips what the perception of, I think what people might think he is coming in, comparing him to guys like Carmelo and and Jabari Parker. Those guys were just built as scorers, right? Like guys that were just going to will you to, to a victory by the count that, Carmelo was going to average 30 a game. This guy could, you know, he might average 24, 25 points a game, but he might be one of these guys who also is over five assists a game if, if he has the right usage. Whether or not that is the ideal primary playmaker on your team is, you know, will remain to be seen, and, and roster construction will, will definitely matter. But I think that's the primary difference between them and something that, you know, maybe people are sleeping on a little bit.
2: Yeah, I, but just before, McEff, I don't mean no. to cut you off, but... No. I think the playmaking flashes are more impressive and important now than his numbers everywhere else. Because then all of a sudden you're starting to bring up the idea of like, you know, Duke has an incredibly talented team. They might have four first rounders at this rate. But is there a path now? Like I'm just asking you guys where with this playmaking flashes like Corey's talking about. He gets into an NBA game, realizes I don't have to do the offensive lifting that I had to do at Duke. Like, you know, end of games, they're close. They're feeding him. They're saying take over. Maybe all of a sudden he becomes this more versatile threat with his passing ability with, you know, not this reliance that I have to be the guy to get, you know, buckets. Maybe he opens up this, you know, with the spacing I just think Paulo definitely is showing some stuff right now that is what we wanted to see. Like, we wanted to see if he could hold defensively when the year started. Now we're seeing the playmakings coming alive, and it's like, okay, that's another type of player that we can get even more excited than the beginning of the year. So I just think that's intriguing with Paulo. Like, and that's why you could come around on him again and he starts to heat up.
0: Yeah. And I I think that's certainly a possibility and it's, it kind of goes in line with what Corey mentioned at the beginning about how much crap he's cut out of his game from high school and the errant 360 step back threes that he chucks up, you know, or that he was chucking up in high school. Like all of that stuff has really been minimized and he's, you know, doing the things I'm assuming uh, that his coaching staff has asked him to, that is hopefully, and um you know, they're planning on leading to winning basketball. So if he gets into that NBA or when he gets into that NBA contact context with that coaching and surrounded by higher level shooters and maybe an already established primary initiator, then that playmaking and that passing as a secondary guy out of the roll or out of the mid post from the elbow, I think that really is where he gets interesting because and his footwork, his first step, his strength, his explosiveness, all of that, I, th- I don't think he's going to have any issues getting to the rim or scoring in, you know, the mid-range and closer. But when, you know, when you add in the ability to drive baseline, spin back middle, and then kick out to the opposite corner, which he's starting to, to hit that open shooter, it, you know, obviously makes the offense better because you're getting the better shots there. But then defenses aren't collapsing on you as aggressively, so now you only have to beat your... One defender, and then that makes his life easier. So, based on kind of the quick pivot we've seen from him, from you know taking and trying whatever he wanted in high school to, I, I think being way more disciplined and controlled and thoughtful on the offensive end at Duke in just you know the span of a year here, I, I think once he gets into a, an NBA context, I I, I I I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see more of that from him.
1: Yeah, no doubt, and and I think too he's the only guy out of the top three that I believe could potentially be a primary option. Yeah. Like yeah. I, not to say like, I have him third with all that said, you know, all the glowing things. I've said. I still have him third on my board, but if I was, if somebody was like, Hey, who's going to be a number one option in the league and who isn't like, I don't, I can't, I still can't get there with Jabari that he's going to be the number one option on a championship level team. I, I don't think he has the creativity. He hasn't shown that to me yet. Chet, I just don't think that's fully his game. Um, but, Jab- uh, but, but, but Palo, I, I can, I can buy in. I can be like, this is a guy that I could see facing off and going toe to toe with uh, a Jason Tatum with a Luca, you know, all the way down the line. So th- that's another thing. If, if that's something that your franchise feels like it needs because um, those guys are really hard to come by, then you know that that 's a, a tip of the cap in, in paulo 's direction and and something that I think a lot of teams are probably going to be looking at with him
0: so I mean, we, we kind of talked about it there, but i I just want to get a, a little more definitive answer from you guys on wh- what are the odds that he does become the best player from this draft class, and what what does he really need to do to reach that level and on the flip side what what are the chances things go wrong? And he just turns into, you know, an inefficient eight, an, an 18 points a game that doesn't lead to any winning basketball. And if that happens, w- what do you think the root cause of that would be? R- Rucker, let's start with you.
2: I think that the odds are high. But I mean, with every draft, you know, we're trending with this class, it's going to be another top three debate, you know, we're not going to have this clear cut number one guy it seems like it's just going to keep being this debate and every draft comes down to fit and and i think that's the exact scenario with paulo is his next fit if he goes to a team that needs his strengths to blossom it's going to be perfect um you know if, if they can feed him the ball if maybe right away he doesn't have to be the number one option but he can also like get his own shot you know create stuff Maybe he goes to Houston where they put him and Jalen Green takes a leap. And all of a sudden Paulo's a nice complimentary piece during his rookie year. I don't know. I'm just, I'm spitballing here. I do think that there's a really good chance that Paulo becomes one of the best players. I think all three of those guys have a really good chance because they're just unique in different ways. And I think that's why the debate's going to keep going because each of them have a selling point. That's different than the other, you know, Chet's the defensive floor awareness Jabari's the potential upside with the two-way versatility, and Paolo's the bucket-getting machine that I really think could be a force in the NBA. So I think it's high. Um, It's just weird. I like all of them. I like them all a lot, and it's like I said before, you wake up each day and you feel different about that one through three. And I'm the same with Corey. I've got him third right now. But it's an uncomfortable third. Like, it, it is something that yeah. I'm like, man, like, why? Why am I having him third? And I'm going to probably keep going back and forth till the end of June on that. So, yeah, that's where I'm at.
1: Yeah, I and I, it's so easy to envision him being the, the guy that is the best player out of the draft and saying that we overthunk it because his best version, he might average 28 points a game with 20, 10 rebounds and four or five assists. And you're like this was so obvious. Look at what he looks like in college. You know, he's probably going to take Duke on a, you know, a run till what, at least like the sweet 16 type of thing. You know, I don't know. Maybe they go out early, but like, he'll probably have a decent tournament run and we could look back and be like, man, what a, what a whiff on that kid who weighed 145 pounds and the, the other guy who couldn't dribble the basketball down the court (laughs) without losing it. So it's certainly possible. And like Rucker said, fit is going to be a big thing with any of these young guys. But I think when you're drafting one of these guys and and I'm writing a a piece on uh, this for, for no ceilings, like does your team, is your team going to have an identity when they draft this guy? Like, are they going to have a plan or are they just taking the best talent and placing him? Cause it's easy to also see him be one of these guys who goes to a team with no direction And they struggle because the team can't put any pieces around him. And all of a sudden he's getting that rep. I mean, Jason Tatum got the rep that he got having success early on because he went to a situation that was like tailor made for a a player like him to develop. But look at him now. The Celtics are 500. And you could argue that, like, if he had never had that early success that everyone would look at Tatum and be like, this guy didn't get to the free throw line. He chucks up shots. He's not a winning player. And I'm sure if the Celtics don't put the pieces around him, that conversation is going to start getting louder and louder. And and this is a guy who's been in the league for a while. So it, I think if we learn anything from guys like that, or like how long it took a guy like Zach Levine to, you know, get to the spot that it finally made sense and people realize he's a winning player. Like it's, it's going to matter if the organization actually knows what they're doing or not. And, you know, uh, clearly there are organizations who are in the lottery year after year after year after year who don't know what they're doing and they acquire the, the, the best talent available, but they're not building anything real. They're just stacking, you know, players that uh, are going to eventually get their coach fired in, in that carousel. So I, I think whatever team he needs to go to has to know what they're doing and have a real plan and be like, all right, we think this is the guy. What is the right way to build around him? And yeah, we're probably gonna be bad next year. So maybe we should still go for best talent available. But the players that we get in the meantime on, on the margins, we got to make sure that they fit for this guy with this guy's strengths. Cause if he goes to a team where it's just like spacing's terrible and it's a bunch of like me first, like, I don't know, it, it could go sideways quick and he can unfairly get labeled something that I don't think he has to get labeled.
0: No, I, I, I think that's really well put because I, I, every draft, every the the phrase, oh, well, it matters where he goes, is so overused, but it's applicable to every single person and no one's situation proof. Um, but a guy in this class who I think has immense amounts of talent, but maybe a little more reliant on situation than Paulo is AJ Griffin, who has had a real roller coaster to his draft stock this season. Um, he's currently averaging 8.9 points, 3.2 rebounds on 52, 50, 70 shooting splits. Um, just to further kind of illuminate how absurd his shooting numbers are. He's in the 99th percentile and overall points per possession, 98th percentile shooting off the catch, 89th percentile shooting off the dribble, 98th percentile on all jumpers and 94th percentile spotting up. So, this is a guy who had a major knee injury, or at least we thought so, a couple of weeks before the season started and then checked in on opening night and threw me through a loop and has now started to actually get legitimate minutes on almost a nightly basis. Um, and I, it, it kind of seems like the consensus on draft Twitter is a little higher than some other outlets. But, Corey, I want to start with you. How high do you think AJ could could end up going on draft night?
1: I don't see why he couldn't go top five. Uh, I think that health obviously has to stay trending in the right direction. Uh, wouldn't Wouldn't hurt to have a, a big tourney. Um, but I think his physical gifts and the way that he's just tailor-made size-wise for the modern NBA, like, it's easy to see su- a path to success for him. You add in the fact that, like, he's a um, guy who's comes from an NBA family. I know Rucker loves that. Like this is a guy who's been around the game forever. And I'm not sure, you know, even after four or after three, maybe I know, you know, Jaden Ivey just hit a huge shot and and he's the talk of the town right now, but after three, like, is there any certainty? Does anybody feel super comfortable? Um, and, and, every draft there's a wild card who gets taken a little bit higher than, than they're expecting. I don't see why he couldn't go as early as four. Uh, I think he probably will, will not go for, but I, I, it wouldn't shock me if he did. And I, I just, the numbers were, are insane. And the volume is starting to creep up to a spot where you're like, all right, this isn't actually just low volume anymore. Like this is a large sample of games and he's getting real minutes now. And like, he's still shooting like this. And I don't think he's a 50% shooter in the NBA. If Aaron Naismith has taught us anything, we shouldn't look at that number. Would you college. stop it with my self <laughs> I This is really like, I held my breath with all the Tatum stuff. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I think that, yeah, like he reminds me of, you know, the the Jimmy Butler, Jalen Brown type of wing. And those guys are just really good basketball players in the modern NBA. So, I think he's going to be a very high lottery pick. And if he drops, he's like, to me, the guy in this draft that you look back and go, man, it was, how did he fall? It was so obvious. Oh, because he hurt his ankle in high school. Like what? Like, so I I think he's going to go super high.
0: And obviously the shooting numbers are absurd. And Corey, like you mentioned, the volume's finally starting to get to a level that's like, okay, the shot is legitimate. And I think the variety of shots that he's taking is, legitimate and varied and something where it's like okay this guy isn't just standing in the corner and shooting off the catch purely but most of his scoring opportunities are coming off ball um mm-hmm. i think it was the wake forest game where coach k was out and shire was coaching where we finally got to see see him do some on ball creation um and some of it was really fascinating where he had this really big step back in the corner for and nailed a three he had a drive and spin and finish um is just more impressive but then that was kind of the only game we've seen from it so rucker do you think he he does have more of that on ball creation to his game um or is he more of just an off ball scorer and if not how high or what do you see the ceiling as for like his scoring game
2: yeah I, i think he's got a lot of wiggle in his game, um, every time I watch him, I mean, he does some stuff when he has the ball in his hands. Like, I know he's doing a lot of damage off the ball, but he just has some hesitations, and his lower body strength really jumps at me. I mean, I mean, it's one of those things where, like Corey's saying, I 100% could see him top five just because watching what he can do, how he uses his hesitations. He's got a fantastic first step, and it's, it's really explosive. Um, and when he wants to get somewhere, he can, you know, use his live dribble, shake people. I mean, I mean, I've just been fascinated with him. I really do think there's a legit, like, potential star here. I, I just think the medical with the pre-draft is going to swing everything for him. Like, if he has a clear green light when it comes to the medical process, I definitely could see, like Corey's saying, like you get past three and it might be like, hey, A.J. Griffin, this is his territory. Any time, would it shock me? So, you know, and, and like you're saying, Metcalf, I was looking earlier. His first 11 games, he was 13 minutes. He's averaging 6-2 and almost one assist. And his last six games, he's averaging 12-4, almost one assist and shooting 52% from three. So, I mean, like you're just seeing the confidence. Everything's starting to roll. Um, Like Corey said, I think AJ and Paulo, if they have, if Duke has a tourney run, those guys could just skyrocket. And maybe that's what, you know, I'm not trying to go back to Paulo, but maybe Paulo starts to creep back up into that top two with a deep tourney run, because that's just what happens every year. Guys heat up around the tournament. We get to see them at the bright stage, you know, putting up good numbers. And I do think AJ Griffin could be in that category where if he keeps putting up performances over a solid stretch, there's just so much to like, and not to mention he's got an NBA frame. Um, he's strong. I mean, he's just—he's a force when he wants to get somewhere.
0: I I, I completely agree with the, the flashes of wiggle and the strength and the on-ball creation that we've seen from him. So, so Corey, do you think this is just a situation where he just hasn't really gotten the chance to show his full kind of? offensive repertoire and that it's just, he's being kind of pigeonholed into this certain role. And he is capable of, of like a lot more in an NBA offense.
1: Yeah. I don't know if I would say pigeonhole, but you know, AJ is one of these kids who was like pretty affected by the COVID um, situation. Like as far as his development goes, you know, his, his junior year, he got hurt. And once he came back, you know, there was a, a shutdown for the season. So he, he didn't get to finish there. Um, then the, his senior year, you know, in New York, um, we just didn't know if there was going to even be a season at all. So he just kind of opted out of it. I mean, my season was last year was eight games. And it was over 21 days and that was the entire season. It got greenlit a week before it even started. So like he went to Tampa to train with his dad um, when the Raptors were down there. So, you know, then you, you go to Duke after not playing like real high level basketball for a year and a half. And he gets that, like that minor knee injury. And to me, like it was him being worked in slowly and, being put in a role where it was like we could bring him along slowly because we have enough on-ball creation and he's kind of proven that like he also doesn't need the ball now to thrive in a role, which I think is really important because as much of the wiggle and self-creation as he's he's shown or, or the flashes of it, which is like really real stuff because this is stuff he was doing like as a freshman and sophomore in high school. The fact that he could just kill people on you know backdoor cuts when guys fall asleep and the fact that he can go in and crash the boards and make like high level plays or just catch and shoot knock shots down and then you know catch and take guys off the dribble when they hard close and pull up like all of these little things where he's off ball it's like all right here's a guy that we could probably put the ball in his hands and make him a primary in certain circumstances but also like he could play off of our star he's showing that as well add to the fact that he doesn't turn the ball over ever and it's like I mean, the role he's in, he's fit in like a glove. I mean, you come into this season uh, where he is, at least playing the major minutes. And, you know, you got Trevor Keel's handling it a lot. Wendell Moore's handling it a lot. I mean, you got Jeremy Roach, Powell, like all these guys that are handling so much. And for AJ to just, you know, not be like, I'm not getting my shine and just kind of buy into playing a winning brand of basketball to me. It's not so much pigeonholed it was just he's making the best of a circumstance that could have been uncomfortable and he just completely bought in i think it's a major major positive for him
0: and that uh, i i tend to agree I, I think he has a lot more just below the surface than he's really been able to show because of like you said the the situation there where there are four guys ahead of him in the ball handling order um and his absurdity off ball is going to kind of lean towards him playing more of that role but you, you guys mentioned a couple guys earlier like Jalen Brown and um th- those NBA forwards who are legitimate two-way def- or two-way players where they're these elite offensive scorers and then on the defensive end they can really lock t- lock guys down and elevate an overall team defense Corey I, I want to start with you H- how do you see him as a defender at the next level and wh- where do you think he's currently at
1: on the ball, I think he's been pretty awesome. He's he's switchable. He gets down in his stance. He gets you know arms out, so he he covers a ton of ground. He's got a seven foot wingspan. He's strong enough that if he gets switched onto a big man, he could just wall up and just be immobile. Um, and force guys off their spot. He could switch out onto point guards like he he absolutely just you know engulfed Isaiah Wong out on an island, and and that's a guy who can create space with the best of them at the college level um so i have no concerns about what he's going to be on the ball because i think he's he's one of those guys who will have a moment like his rookie year where you put him on you know a a jalen brown or something like that and he has this impressive flash and everyone goes oh man this is going to be a two-way star for me and and where i'm at is the thing i'm more concerned with is kind of the off-ball stuff with him i think that and, you know, look, without talking to the people at Duke, you don't exactly know what's being asked of him. Maybe a lot of times he's being mm-hmm. asked to face guard and play more and deny and just take a guy out off the ball rather than kind of cheat and, and get into the help position. So I don't know. But uh, to me, he he's always kind of like hugging his man when he should be sunk in helping on the weak side. Uh, so, you know, and that's led to a couple of times in that Miami game. He got backdoor cut because he in a big moment because he was just overplaying uh his man in help so to me it's it's going to be a lot of how is he going to fit in to a help scheme and how quickly is he going to pick it up i have no question that he'll get it eventually um but that's the only thing that would worry me i guess from a uh you know the, the perspective of what's he going to be defensively in in the, in the league early on uh, he might struggle a little bit with the team concepts but i think on the ball that's just like taking things personally and, and wanting to get after it and using your physical gifts. And I think he's got all of that down.
0: Rucker, do you have any concerns or are you as optimistic as Corey about no, his yeah. defense going forward? Yeah,
2: I'm, I'm right there with Corey. I think he's a potential two way star. Um, I've been really impressed with his on the ball. I think he's, he knows he's, he's a big boy. He knows he's physical. He know he invites people in to try to test them and, He has the quickness to get moving in a hurry. Um, You know, the off the ball stuff is definitely stuff I'm watching too. He also has shown some flashes with really impressive like rotations off the ball that, you know, for weak side blocks, stuff like that. So it's just stuff that you're going to keep making note of. Um, It's nothing that's scared me. I've been more impressed and intrigued with the on the ball stuff than um, worried about anything else. I just think he has the tools that – if he gets the green light with the health and everything goes good in the pre-draft process, like this, this, this kid has it. I mean, I just really do think AJ Griffin's going to be a special talent.
0: And another guy on Duke whose defense, I'm really not worried about at all is Mark Williams, who's currently averaging 10.1 points, uh, 7.1 rebounds and 3.2 blocks. Um, I absolutely adore the way he defends the pick and roll, Um, the way he flips his hips and slides his feet and just really contains and then protects the rim, I think is really special and maybe the best in the class currently. Uh, But Corey, I know that you've been really high on Mark Williams for a while now. So what has led you to that optimism or that that love of his game um, for pretty much the entire season?
1: I I think that he's just a guy that it's easy to see what he's going to be in the NBA. Like we don't have to imagine how he's going to fit into an offense. Like a team isn't going to be like, all right, let's run a bunch of horn sets where we give him the ball at the elbow and make him make plays and find cutters and stuff. Like that's not going to be his game. He's going to, you know, hopefully go to a a team that has like a high usage pick and roll ball handler. And that's just going to throw him 10 lobs a game that he's going to finish with his seven, seven wingspan and every once in a while, maybe he pops out to 15 feet and shows that he's got a little bit of touch there, um, in the NBA. So like, and then defensively, like you said, he can, he's going to be a scheme versatile, big, he's going to be able to come over from the weak side and and clean up a mess. He's going to be able to play in a drop and use that seven, seven wingspan to, you know, co- contest shots. Um, he's going to be able, I think he's quick enough to like hard hedge and, and recover down to his man and get back. So I, I just think that you could do so much with him defensively and I don't have to worry about what he's going to be offensively because I've seen this guy succeed so many times um, as soon as they get to a spot where you have a, a point guard or an initiator that knows how to throw a lob pass or a pocket pass. So the, the reason I've been like, no, this guy is like, is good. He's going to be a first rounder potential, like, you know, guy who goes maybe in the 15 and 20 range or whatever's I could just see a team like a, like a Charlotte, like, Hey, we kind of need like an athletic center. We don't know how long Kai Jones is going to take. And we, you know, Kai Jones, the bet on him was all the versatility and he could do this he could do that. Like, how about LaMelo just throws a, a bunch of alley-oops to Mark Williams? Like that's just easy to project. So that's the reason I'm high on him, because it's simple. I don't have to overthink this. I don't have to worry about what he can or can't do down the line. The things I know that he can do are going to be efficient and effective. And if, if down the line he shows he can shoot a three-pointer, awesome. But he's not going to need to do that to get on the floor.
0: I, I couldn't agree more. And the, just the, the simplicity to his game is awesome. And he do, he doesn't demand the ball. He runs his ass off in transition. He has great hands. He catches and dunks everything, but he still co- consistently gets grouped into this group of centers at the back of the first with Kessler and Kamigata and Coloco. Um, I, I I think he's starting to emerge from that group personally. But Rucker, for you, what what does he need to do, or continue to do, or show going forward to really separate from that group of? centers that he keeps getting pegged with at the end of the first and potentially climb into that mid first round like Corey had mentioned
2: you know I'm I've been kind of buzzing on this idea for a while and I watched him the other day and and, and I'm kind of there now I think he already has Um, I'm thinking Mark Williams might be a little bit better than we're all thinking because I just watched him I've watched a couple last Duke games and I just keep coming to every time they're in a close game, he's making plays like every time down the stretch, he's jumping off the screen. Cause I'm just like, man, that's a big play. Like, and I swear, I'm like counting 10 times where I'm like, that's a huge play for that team. And it's all Mark Williams. And it's just one of those things where I've been high on him like Corey, because you know exactly what he's going to be. You know, his NBA skill set's going to help. Like it's going to translate. He's, He's got all this size. He's got freakish length. Um, he's got this rim protecting ability that's legit. He pops off the screen with how nasty he can be around the basket, which I just love. I'm, I'm a sucker for that. But, you know, I went and looked at numbers today because I just keep coming to this idea. Like, am I not – like, I'm high on Mark Williams. Am I not high enough? And, um, you know, his first 15 games, he was averaging eight, six, and three blocks, which is great, which is really solid. And then his last five games, he's up to 14, 9, and 3.4 blocks while shooting 75% from the field. So I'm like, he's had a stretch of games like this before where he's just a force, like going back to last year where he ended the season and just started turning heads. And I just keep coming back to the fact that he always is making these big plays. Like beginning of the year, Gonzaga, he was arguably the best player on that floor that night. And then all of a sudden, you know, this last stretch of games, he's just been a force around the basket with his shot blocking ability. I just, I'm like what Corey's saying, like a team like Charlotte, someone that needs a physical, just make it simple, impact the game defensively. Like Mark Williams is that. I think that's why he's just, he's above all those other guys. And I'm a big Christian Coloco fan. I've been a big Kamagate fan, but I just think with what Mark Williams is doing this year for Duke and, you know, the low maintenance, if you want to say like, he's just going to be a presence on both sides of the ball right away.
0: And something that you said there is, is he a lot better than we're giving him credit for, or than we think he is right now. And I'm kind of in that same spot with you. And I I know what I'm about to ask is a little blasphemous considering how some people view him, but is Mark Williams already kind of what we're hoping Jalen Duran turns into? Um Ooh. <laughs> I I I know that the, the age gap is there. I know that the that Duran's ultimate hundredth percentile outcome is a lot higher. Um, but I think a lot needs to go right for Duran. And Williams is kind of proving to be, I in my opinion, the best pick and roll defender or, or big defender uh in the country right now. Um elite in transition, elite around the rim. Uh Corey, I, I know you're a lot higher on Duran than um, most of us over at No Ceilings right now. Um, h- h- how much did I just piss you off with that question?
1: <laughs> not, <laughs> not not nearly as much as taking this long to get me on the podcast. Um, <laughs> I think it's an interesting debate. Um, ultimately, I still think that, you know, if if Duren starts sliding and he's in that late lottery range and it's one of these teams who's like, all right, we want one of these bigs, I'm still betting on Duran. Just, I, I think when you look at Mark Williams and not that Mark Williams is in like the perfect ideal scenario, because outside of AJ Griffin being the best shooter in the world, it's not like they have like a ton of guys that space the floor in a way that like you would hope, or a bunch of guys that really make plays for, for Mark Williams. But Jalen Duran is just in the worst situation imaginable. Yeah. Memphis is, Maybe how they are. Memphis is the Alonzo Verge of college basketball teams. Oh God, just the the Ashton Hagens of of college basketball teams. That's my 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 Ashton Hagens award winner for 2022 is the entire (laughs) Memphis Tigers roster. Uh, It was going to be hard. I you know I thought Alonzo Verge Jr. was going to repeat with his showing in Nebraska this year, but the entirety of the Memphis Tigers has taken. The mantle. So I it's just like he doesn't get to show what he's really gonna be good at. Like I just one guy who could throw an entry pass or just one guy who could, you know, throw a lob or get paint touches and consistently enough for drop offs. I think that Durin showed interesting things, you know, in the short roll, both as a passer and as a, a jump shooter. And I just think he's got like the girth and the strength to physically handle, you know jokic or mb down the line now jokic is he's not even a unicorn i don't know what's even more rare than a unicorn but
0: jokic Alien. Is that.
1: i don't i don't think anybody can handle him down the line but at least like you know he might be able to body him up a, a little bit i think that's kind of where you take the chance with durin i, I think he's one of those guys who maybe has the physicality and the strength to handle some bigger guys, but hopefully also the mobility that like Mark Williams has shown where Williams length is absurd. And, you know, he can do so much, but I think that maybe the the physicality, it might take him a little while to adjust to just because he's a little, you know, thinner than, than a guy like Durin. but it's certainly not out of the realm, realm of possibility because the team might take Durin fifth or fourth, And he might go to a situation where he's just not developing the way you'd hoped or he's not playing with as talented of players, whereas Mark Williams might get drafted to a team in the 20s that already has, you know, one of these star guards who, you know, just can put so much pressure on the rim that it allows him to. Play free, and now we're like he comes out of the gates, and he's finishing sixty five percent of his his shot attempts, and dunking everything, and you know, come making a, a difference by protecting the rim, and it, it looks a lot harder for Durant. So, I don't think it's a, a crazy thing to say that Williams ends up as you know the most impactful center, um, but I'd still personally take the shot on Durant.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think I, I, that's where I'm at too. I, I think Williams is a little more of a sure thing, but the, the upside of Duran is, it, I, it, it's so much more than Williams uh, right now. Um, but someone on this Duke team who I, I really just cannot get a grasp on is Trevor Keels, who's averaging 11.9 points, uh, 3.6 rebounds, 3.2 assists on 40, 30, 70 shooting splits. Um, Rucker, I I just want to go to you first. And I'm I'm just going to keep this, as simple as possible. What, what is he best at? What, what is his calling card? He's Marcus smart. I'm,
2: I'm being, I'm being kind of serious. Like he, he's going to just be a demon of impacting the game in a number of ways. And this is coming from the biggest Marcus smart stand of all time. And I'm not saying they're equivalent defenders. I'm not saying like that. I'm just saying this is a guy that every NBA team wants where it's low maintenance, but he's going to impact the game a number of ways. Like he has playmaking ability, he can he can take the ball, he can make the right reads. He's a pest defensively. I mean, he is a hellraiser when he's on the defensive side of the ball. And I love that. He plays with passion. I'm just the big kills guy. And I I really think this is a guy that every team is gonna want to almost be a tone setter. Like we did the last mock and um or I did one with Nathan and then I took him to the Toronto Raptors because I think that's a guy that would be fantastic for the Raptors is you add him with Scotty Barnes. Like that is that creates nightmares on defense for the opposition. And I know everyone's worried about the outside shot. Like I'm not there yet. I understand the percentages would be, you know, That's going to come. I think teams are going to look at the rest of the sample and what he can do to impact the game, and they're going to be more intrigued with that. And, you know, the size, the agility, the quickness, laterally, like I just – I'm buying. I'm believing, and if I'm going to be alone on that island, then screw you guys. (laughs)
0: So you mentioned his playmaking and yes. when I dove into the numbers, I was really pleasantly surprised Um, because no I should. <laughs> 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 well, yeah. So he's got like a 2.3 assist to turnover ratio. He's in the 94th percentile scoring as a pick and roll ball handler. And his passes are in the 97th percentile. Do you think that tran- that that will translate to the NBA and he can be that lead point guard or at least of like a second unit or a starting unit?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think it's not even just, you know, we, we fascinate with high assist numbers. I think he just knows also the right reads to make where it's why I wish that we also kept track of like hockey assists. I think he understands the pass to make the next pass. Like he understands where the ball is supposed to go. I just think he's a smart player that is showing signs that are rare this young and they're only going to get better. And just his energy, his his passion defensively, like all of that, I just think he stands out. Like we all fascinate with high assist numbers. We fascinate with stats. You know, the scoring is always so fun to talk about, but I just think he does the other way. Like he makes an impact in other ways of the game, which is really, really important. Like he doesn't need to score to be an influence for the team. And I think NBA teams – scouts personnel they're really going to be fascinated with that because yeah it's fun to you know scout the guys that shoot 45 percent from three and drool about oh he's just going to catch and shoot from deep all the time but you know the nitty-gritty guys are the guys that you need to take the next step forward and i feel like trevor Kills is going to help a team become better right away
0: cory yeah. uh t- rucker just mentioned like the the doing the little things and contributing in the nitty gritty. If he's not shooting from outside, how do you see his, see him making that impact? Is it on the defensive end? Is it just being a connecting piece on offense? How how do you see him making that a positive impact on a nightly basis? If that outside shot doesn't really translate.
1: Yeah, he's definitely more of an eye test guy right now. When I saw him live, you know, I went to that Kentucky game and you know, you're at the Garden, beginning of the season, like tipping off in a big way. And man, you felt his energy permeate throughout the, the entire arena in a way that was unlike anybody else on the floor. And that's including, you know, Paolo. And he gave absolute, he gave Ty Ty Washington hell in a way that I walked away from that game going, I'm not really sure if Ty Ty Washington can dribble the basketball and that for a little while that affected my perception of of him. Um, And I've come way around on Ty Ty, but I wasn't sure if he could dribble because Trevor Keels, it was just like, this is a guy who can guard a point guard, but it's too physical for a point guard to really, you know, go through them in any kind of way. He could stay with them laterally, even though he's, kind of looks like he's this giant like football player um but the shot to me i think is going to come around i don't know it doesn't look terrible to me and it's not going in yeah and that's what's important uh as much as i wish aesthetics <laughs> counted they don't you know uh but it looks it looks workable you know it looks like if he goes to the right team and if that happens it changes the entire outlook. But you feel the energy, you see what he could do, just making the right plays. He's not shot hunting. He's not stat hunting. He's not assist hunting. Um, You know, but I still struggle with him as a player because if the shot doesn't come around, it's, it's like, all right, what kind of team does he fit in on as a starter? That is like the ultimate spot for him to be able to contribute in a real way it's like is he a guy that you want to pair with luca and like you know hope that all right well, like he's kind of the frank nilakina that actually has a little bit of feel for the game and even though he can't shoot it it doesn't matter cuz he could still kind of function as a, an off guard who could just defend and do the little things or I I don't really know. Or is he just destined to be kind of a a backup guard that can control the tempo and whatever he gives you offensively. It's like on the nights he's got it going, you could play him longer and other nights you just kind of have to roll with what he gives you on that end and, and hope he makes it up defensively. He's a really hard evaluation for me. And, you know, I think, collectively most people overreacted to that first Kentucky game where it was like he went from basically an unknown or a guy nobody was going to talk about to all of a sudden it's like ESPN has him as a lottery pick almost immediately to where now it's almost like, all right, well, what's the right part of the draft? Is he a a surefire first rounder? Maybe, but like you could say that about 25 other guys we're going to start, you know, we're going to talk about between now and the draft. So he's a really hard evaluation, I think, just because just you're not going to be able to convince anybody that isn't already a believer that the shot is going to be there, I think. And inevitably, you'll see the workout footage where the shot looks amazing in an open gym, but it's like, and sure, like, it'll sway a few people, but ultimately, I think that shot being what it is, it's like, that's going to be, are you a starter or are you a guy who is kind of this bench player that we don't know if he's going to fit on any kind of team and it has to just kind of, it has to work. He has to go to a team with shooting. I don't know.
0: Rucker to enlighten us. What, what, what is his ideal role? What What is he in the NBA? You, you have all the answers.
2: Yeah, I do. Thank you. Um, I think, I think he's a point guard or he is a sensational sixth man that comes in, sets the tone like, I, I could see a world where he's a starting guard. I, I just can't. Um, I I just, like, everything Corey's talking about, it's just the mentality. I think teams and front offices are going to fall in love with the mentality, the passion. You know, we always talk about Jalen Duran as being one of the youngest guys. He's 18. He's going to be drafted. He's going to be 18. You know, Kills is going to be 18 when he's drafted. I, I mean, that's – There's a lot of basketball that still needs to be discovered with his game. And just from a raw sample size, like 6'5", 220, which he can move and defend and stay around a lot of people, I just think this is a disruptor. This is Every team needs this to get out of the lottery. Every team needs this to become a stronger playoff team. So I'm right there with Corey because, you know, I had him really high in the beginning of the year. Um, I've moved them down a little bit just right outside my lottery, but it's one of those guys that, you know, the right when I watch him again, I'm gonna be like, I need to move him back. Like it's just I think some team's gonna fall in love with this guy because it's raw upside. I think the shot's gonna come around. Um, especially like Corey's saying, like every pre draft process. So you get a little bit of a minute clip of oh, okay, he can shoot now. You know, Scotty Barnes could shoot. What happened? <laughs> so um I'm just a believer, and I feel like I'm going to be alone on that island, but I just – I love me some Trevor Keels. I think the kid can play.
1: So do you think he's going to be one of these guys, maybe like um, like Alex Caruso, who if – like Caruso's offense is not anything to write home about, but he has moments where he could swing a game on that end, turn defense to offense. A little different because Caruso is like a really great athlete and Keels is like super ground-bound, but is he the kind of guy where like – You might not appreciate him and what he could do to impact the game until he gets to a really good team where he can actually like he might not raise a team's floor, but he could raise their ceiling in a way like is that kind of how maybe we should be perceiving what he does.
2: Yeah, I think that's why I'm comparing him to, like, Marcus Smart is because it's one of those, like, obviously, Corey's ripped my Celtics apart yeah, the well, entire you, you mentioned
1: You mentioned Smart making hockey assists. <laughs> no, <laughs> or, no, or, or I'm just Kiels saying... making it, hockey assists
2: and comparing I'm him to Smart, like, so I, was, I got confused. <laughs> I'm saying, like, this is, yes, exactly where it's, like, he goes to the right team. Let's say Kills falls to a playoff team. Like, that is a sensational asset to have coming off the bench like just a raw guy that doesn't need a lot of maintenance he can just come in and make plays defensively that he doesn't need to score if the outside shot comes around we're talking about a guy that just can go crazy and you know get after it defensively understands when to get his shot like he's also shown some touch around the lane like I just I'm a big believer I, I think this is what you need to add to your team like we talk about these type of forces these type of players that every team needs to have you need to have like offensive guys that can you can go get a bucket you need to have defensive stoppers i believe this is a defensive stopper this is a guy that can be a swiss army knife and just kind of push the needle forward for your team and i think that's what nba front offices are going to come around on
0: well the final guy on this duke roster who i'm expecting to be in the nba next year um but i'm really having a hard time coming around on and buying in. Um, and I, I believe you guys are much higher on him is Wendell Moore uh, currently averaging 14.9 points, five and a half rebounds, 4.6 assists, 1.4 steals on 54, 41, 73 shooting splits. Um, his points per possession numbers are really impressive. The transformation from his freshman year to this year has been pretty extraordinary. For some reason, I, I just, I can't buy in on him being this productive, you know, not necessarily this productive in the NBA, but really being that high level role player in the NBA. I think a lot of his impact this year comes from his improved kind of initiation and being that primary guy at times who's running the pick and roll, who's running the offense, getting everything set up. And I I don't think he meets that threshold in the NBA, but Rucker, earlier today, you said that you see him probably going late first. So what do you think, what What does he do at such a high level that that, that team should feel comfortable about picking him in the first? And at that spot, they'll likely be a playoff team. So what, why should he be inserted into a playoff team or rotation um, this year? You know,
2: I really like Moore. I feel like he's good at a lot of things. I don't know if he has this one thing where I'm going to be like, that's his NBA skill is that like, I don't know. I don't have a, he's so weird to explain, but when you just watch him and see how he can kind of impact the game in a number of ways. And I know I just said this about Trevor Keels, but I, I just think more showing us like he's taken strides. I, I don't know what else he needs to do to be a potential first round pick, you know, came into Duke had all this hype. Um, It's taken a while for it to finally click this year. I I mean, I feel like he's around like 14, five and five. So he's just doing a bit of everything. Um, He's he's taking that jump, the outside shot. You know, I I know that's going to be his his swing skill, if you want to say it that way. But I feel like he's he's definitely taking strides forward in that. I just think this is what playoff teams want. You know, they want to draft a rookie like this that can do a lot of stuff can potentially be a versatile asset on both sides of the floor. So I'm just convinced that, you know, with what scouts saw before and now they're seeing this leap from him this year, they're going to come around and be like, yes, the light's coming on and this is definitely a type of player you want towards the end of the first, but I'm interested to hear Corey's response because I know me and Corey have kind of been high on him. It's just one of those guys. I'm, I'm struggling to find the right words. Because I love him. like When I watch him, I'm like, yes, this is a first-round guy for me, but um, I can't put my exact phrase on it.
1: I think if you're a team buying into him as a first-round guy, if you're trying to sell me on should he go in the top 30, I think what you're hoping for is that he could do uh, an I.O. Donsumu impression where he's got good size, he's long, like, you look at the guys who are thriving in the NBA now, they're like long athletic and do uh, a little bit of everything. They're, they're skilled. Like the guys who are thriving as role players, or at least who are able to come in right away, like they don't have to be cam Thomas who it's like, go get a bucket. It's more just like, Hey, can you come in be switchable defensively um, dribble the ball at the floor, maybe initiate offense attack, closeouts when the ball swings your way and knock down open shots like to me that's kind of what the hope would be for him now uh you know i had to is the the best chicago bulls who wear number 12 since kirk heinrich and uh one of my favorite draft picks uh the bulls have made probably since joe kim noah so i don't know if if wendell more like i, I think I.O. is a, a better prospect than Wendell is, but he, even though he's a junior, he's a young junior. He's the the same age as a bunch of the sophomores, so you're getting a young guy. Again, like you look at his season last season, or or and you could definitely make the case that it was just a weird developmental year with COVID, and this is much more the player that he is and that he was built to be and he's finally comfortable and and things are a little bit more back to normal and he's now going to progress at the rate he should have initially Um, but there is something like for you know you saying I'm super high on him like there's so many guys I would take before him and right now he's well outside he's like I think I probably have him like 40 like you know my board's not like in stone but he's still in that range where it's going to be totally team dependent on whether I would take him in the first round or not. So uh, like Tyler said, I don't think he has a standout skill that you could, you could bank on, but he's pretty okay at everything. And I think if he is a good enough shooter in the league that you have to respect it and he's not going to, you know, brick jumper after jumper on kickouts when, you know, he gets drafted to Dallas and Luke is just giving him just wide open jumpers and, like if he can just knock down 36, 37% of them, he might bring enough other things to find minutes on the floor, contribute and do it on a really cheap contract um, for a few years. So I think that's the selling point on him, whether or not he kind of lives up to that early on. I, I don't know, but I I don't think that he's the guy that some people thought maybe he was at the beginning of the season where he's potentially this, primary shot creator that you can give him the ball and you know, he's going to lead your team. Like, I don't see that. Um, but uh, he could certainly be a guy who finds rotations probably on any team because he can do a little bit of everything.
0: Well, fellas, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this was fun. Uh, very helpful, especially that IO comp, um, not necessarily player, but role and impact and whatnot. Um, but as we end every episode, uh, what's the best thing in the basketball world you've seen recently? Uh, R- Rucker, I'll start with you.
2: Oh, gosh. You always I, – I swear every time you bring this up, I always forget to think of something. But – um
0: Love the preparation.
2: Yeah, really. really I'm always <laughs> prepared for this answer. And I swear every time I'm like, oh, gosh, you catch me off guard each time. Um I'll be boring. Jaden Ivey with the game winner was pretty dope. Um especially with, you know, him coming off the injury lately. He's put up a couple big performances. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be boring and say Jaden Ivey.
0: Corey, what about you?
1: Um, John Morant had, like, a crazy windmill dunk. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he does that on a nightly basis, but it was, like, a cool – I think Jaron Jackson threw him the alley-oop, and he, like – caught it and it looked like he was almost on his way down but then somehow he had like a second elevation on the way up and windmilled it and it was insane and he's the absolute best
0: absolutely uh Corey, please please plug away tell the people where to find you how they can support you
1: all right at Corey tulliba on twitter uh have a piece coming out or it might actually be out by the time this goes up uh on no ceiling sub stack so subscribe to that for free uh get it delivered directly to your inbox every monday through friday uh you could find the nba draft dude on youtube we'll have a film sesh on Paolo boncaro out soon now that i finally stopped procrastinating and wrote the sports center cold open which is unbelievably more difficult than you'd expect and shout out to dan patrick and you know rest in peace Stuart scott and uh yeah, I think that's, you know, the draft Act NBA draft podcast, but you know, if you find follow me somewhere else, you'll find all the other stuff.
0: Rucker, how can the people support you? Um, I'm
2: at backcourt V, but mainly I'm at no ceilings. Like Corey said, no ceilings.substack.com. And, um, You'll pretty much find me. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna have a couple pieces this week that I'm excited to write about. So yeah, I'm I'm there. Subscribe. It's free. I'm sure Metcalf's gonna spill all that details right now. So thanks for having me on, guys.
0: Well, I, I appreciate your time, guys. Once again, uh, I am your host, Tyler Metcalf. You can follow me on Twitter at tmetcalf11. And like these guys said, please make sure to subscribe to the No Ceiling Substack at noceiling.substack.com. All of our work is free Monday through Friday, direct delivered directly to your inbox, zero excuse not to subscribe. And please follow us on Twitter at no Ceilings NBA, as well as YouTube um, at no Ceilings TV. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review and a five-star rating until next time. See ya.